Hey, group chat. I know y'all see my text. There's tea to be spilled. Each week, we're bringing you our unfiltered take on culture, news, dating, and our lives as Black millennial women. We're coming to y'all with the honesty and eye rolls that only a text chain with your girls can. This is Black Girls Texting with Chelsea, Glenn, and Shade. to another episode of Black Girls Texting. It's me, Sade, a.k.a. Baby Dr. Fauci, joined by <laughs> my Flynn. lovely ladies. <laughs> Flynn, head nurse. Flynn, head nurse, and Chelsea Pinky, head, I don't know, I don't know any other position. Administrator of the hospital. Administrator <laughs> of the hospital. If you didn't get a clue by the title of the episode or the intro. Today we are talking about Miss Rona, the coronavirus, the panoramic, the pandemic. Ish. She's rude. She's really nasty. Um, but before we jump into it, um, how was everyone's weekend? Well, yeah, we just came from celebrating my birthday, actually. We were in the mountains. We, I don't know if we've told you this, Chelsea, yet, but Shade and I have been saying that we felt like we were on the Real Housewives. I think we kind of were saying that. The you whole said time Real Housewives we of Honesdale. Real Housewives of Honesdale, because it was yeah. just like arrive in a house, buy a bunch of booze, and just get drunk and act up. Act well, up. Well, you just slept. The rest of us and had fun. I did sleep a lot and I, I was exhausted y'all um you know playing lots of games I don't know the last time I just played card games and it was just really fun. just so nice it was so good I had a ball good I'm glad you had fun for your b-day yeah I was telling Shadi I'd never do anything for my birthday I like to just like let the day pass just get it makes me anxious I don't really like a lot of pomp and circumstance what is that true typically yeah like Yes, I like had, had a huge birthday party. I had that huge party, but that was actually at the urgence of my mom and Sade, actually. And they were the ones who this year, again, were like, just do it. So actually, to that point, we went up to the house and there were five of us. We all got COVID tested before we went. Thanks to who? Chelsea, you did suggest that. The head administrator. <laughs> um, which is definitely in line with like what we're talking about this week on this episode. Yes, that was that like, I think pretty much sums up our weekends as a whole, because we were all together. Um, and it was really nice. We took some cute pics. So you guys will see those soon. Um, and oh, and they're in snow. A few of my friends saw the pictures and didn't realize we were in the snow. Wait, really? What did they I had that concern? So, I don't know. I guess they thought it was like a white. It looks background. like a white background. I think you can totally tell that snow. Me too. I'm like, are you guys are y'all slow? Maybe they need glasses. I don't know. I, I wondered too. But anyway, oh my y'all be gosh. the judge. Tell us in the comments. Tell us in the comments. Um, I don't know if anyone's hotline is blinging. I can definitely speak to mine unless you guys have a do, 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 do. No, speak to yours. My hotline is blinging because I told my friends that we would be doing this episode and they were like, oh, my God, am I going to want to hear this? Like, assuming that I was going to be, like, combative and aggressively, like, anti-vaccine and, like, anti-science, which is, like, 
so crazy. Like, so everyone jokes like, oh, Sade, she's, you know, Miss Natural Homeopath and only believes in tea and prayer. Like, that's a running joke about me, like tea and prayer. Even my friend is like, you just think about it as like, you know, you just throw in a yoni egg and everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, that's not fully true. So I'm really excited that I can debunk those myths in this episode. But we had like a whole debate and I really had to check my friends. Um, And I always have to check my roommate who while he is a gay, he's still a white man. <laughs> and I'm like, you got to check your privilege, boo. You can't Do they just- not understand like the cultural like implications? Right. And that's what I always try to bring up. But I, I don't think like that matters that- to them. No, I think it matters. But like, I don't think it's the first thing that comes to their mind. Right. Like as a black person, I think we get these stories passed down to us. It's like a generational concern where people be like, mm, I don't trust the government and da, 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 da. And like maybe slash had our own experiences with medicine. Correct. But it's not I like think, something made up. <laughs> right. And I think that because it's not in our education system, people aren't just like openly speaking about Henrietta Lacks or openly like, like I, myself, I just learned about Anarka Lucy and Betsy go check out our previous episode that just came out last week. Um, but like, I just learned about them. So I think it's like a, a moment that we have to have these, these dialogues and like realize that it's not cut and dry. Like we talked about this in the episode. It's not just like trust science. Like, so like I saw a tweet and it said, it's a privilege to be able to say, just trust science. Absolutely. And like, that's not afforded to a lot of people. So I'm really glad that we got to have this episode because there needs to be a dialogue. And I'm also convinced that the coronavirus vaccine needs uh, someone to really head up that PR. Some better PR. Because it's not not me watching people get vaccinated on camera. Like that ain't it. Yeah. Yeah. We we need information and knowledge that's distilled down in a digestible way, which we hope that this episode will provide you all because I learned a lot. Come through Me with a too. nice transition. I also do think if you want to go into science, Shade, you should, because I'm absolutely DMing the OBGYN. Oh, no, I don't think I ever would, but I definitely want to have um more discourse with people about it. Like I'm looking forward to hosting dinner parties and like talking about science and vaccines and like hanging out with different people who can like have informed conversations about stuff like that. Like, I just want to like hang out with her on like clubhouse and maybe eventually like in real life. And just... and I was like dinner parties. Hmm. Right. Right. Eventually, eventually um, when I'm vaccinated. Oh, so are you going to get it? Let me find um, out. Well, that's my what would you do? So my good sis, that's a black girl doing and shit. And let's jump into our black girl doing shit. Okay, guys, so this is my episode, so I'm talking a lot. Um my first black girl doing shit is Dr. Kiz Mechia Corbett. I really hope I'm saying her name correctly. Kiz Kizmechia Corbett. Um, she is a black woman. 
And um, her role has been pivotal behind the vaccine. Um, she's super inspiring and it's really exciting to see black women leading the charge. Um, Anthony Fauci shouted her out. Um, a lot of people kind of have felt a way about her being used in the spotlight. And I think Dr. Fauci said something kind of sus, like black people should trust the vaccine because of, you know, Dr. Corbett and like, it's not that simple, but it's dope to see a black woman at the forefront. He said that? I'm annoyed because when I saw her picture, I was like, okay, let me find out. I did feel a little bit of trust. Maybe I'm just very easily swayed. <laughs> I feel like I need to look into her a little bit more, but it made me feel like, okay, there was a sister involved. Yeah, I don't, I'm, I won't, I won't fully put that on him because I don't know the exact quote, but that was, you know, the, you know, black Twitter. That was the gist. Just, yeah. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they just be lighting people up. Um, but our other black girl doing shit is our guest who you will hear from shortly. Dr. Aya Osman, um, who is a neuroscientist and science communicator currently studying the gut immune brain axis role in neuropsychiatric disorders for her postdoc. Um, she completed her PhD in neuroscience in 2018. So we asked her to join us since she has a pretty good grasp on the science behind COVID and the vaccine, as well as just knowledge of the immune system from her research. Um, she has worked in public health for two years prior to her PhD. And I believe she's currently at Mount Sinai, um, but had her previous teachings in the UK. So just dope to see a black woman out here again doing the work definitely go check out her instagram we're gonna post it she has highlights that literally your fingers will hurt that you're tapping through them for so long but like every single slide super informative and um we found her on clubhouse who honestly at this point they just need to pay us because we would say name a lot today um but yeah excited for you guys to jump into the group chat and hear more on Red or Reply. Okay, so Dr. Osman, we are going to jump right into On Red or Reply. This first one is something we just talked about offline for a hot sec. Um, so let's see how you feel about it. It is Clubhouse, On Red or Reply. Reply. <laughs> reply for now. Um, until I feel like it's getting too much, then it might be like, oop, On Red. But for now, definitely reply. What has been definitely. one of your like favorite parts of it or like a really interesting conversation that you've had on the app? You know, honestly, the COVID conversations have been amazing just because there's so many high level doctors on there right now. And when you're answering questions and you have other doctors on and they're answering, it's actually helping build to your database of knowledge as well. So the back and forth has been so informative. And then to think, we're having this back and forth and there's people actually learning at the same time is, is really nice. So that's definitely been my favorite part of Clubhouse right now. Yeah, I think that's really exciting because we like who would have ever thought that I might be able to hear insights from doctors in the US, in the UK, um, different parts of Europe, Africa, South America, and all in one room at the wee hours of the night, but you know, still. Yeah. And, and another thing that I think we need to make clear here. So I'm, I'm a research doctor, right? So I'm a PhD and then there's the MDs and in general, in the medical field, we're realizing there isn't enough overlap between researchers and clinicians. 
because researchers like myself will have like the functional insights and then clinicians will have like the insights from the patient's perspective. And so having us all come together on one platform to discuss COVID, you're getting the mechanism, you're getting the clinic, clinician aspect, and then you can kind of give the audience a, a full rounded picture. So it's, it's really great. That's awesome. So jumping into more of the writer replies around your field, um, in the chat that I was in with you, there were some folks that leaned more on like the naturopath, homeopath. Um, perspective. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are you leaving that on red or reply? I think when it comes to um, preventing yourself from getting COVID, no matter what holistic measures we're taking right now, they're not strong enough to prevent you getting COVID. Because as long as we have these receptors, which we all have as human, they're called ACE2 receptors. Those are the receptors the virus um, binds to. As long as you have those receptors, no matter how healthy you're being or eating or, you know, there's nothing you can do to prevent a virus binding to those receptors. So actually the best preventative measures right now are social distancing, mask wearing, you know, just keeping aware of being away from the hotspots like restaurants, bars, um, you know, even like hopping between one household and the other. Um, those are the best preventative measures. Of course, like, in the long term, um, just generally trying to stay as healthy as you can is always a good thing to do. But with a new virus like this that your body has never seen, there's no amount of holistic um, preventative measures that, that will work right now. So it's hard to say um, reply or red because nobody wants to say holistic measures are not good enough. Of course, it's great to be healthy. So it's good to eat you know, anti-inflammatory foods and things that reduce your um, sugar intake. But when it's a novel virus, I would have to say uh, leave on red for now. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to get into you just breaking down a lot of those terms you just used, but we'll get into that in the group chat. Um, <laughs> my final on red reply, so we can just jump right in, is um, a term that I'm kind of making up but I'm sure it exists elsewhere. I'm calling it COVID shaming. So when someone is like, I cannot believe you, I'm just gonna like make up an extreme, like went to your friend's house to have dinner. Like that is insane. But then, hey. you know, someone else may be like, I cannot believe you go to the grocery store every day. Like you should order your groceries in, you know, like there's so, like you could COVID shame in so many different ways. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And then there's obviously the COVID shame that's on the other end of the spectrum of like, if your friends invite you out and you're like, mm, I don't think it's a good idea. And then they're like, Oh, you know, why are you being so extreme about it? So yeah, definitely there's a lot going on right now. And honestly, I, that's something I struggled with at the beginning of the pandemic too. Um, you know, pressures from friends, pressures from family, pressures from work. And I wasn't reacting very well because I knew I had my own internal right or wrong that I wanted to do. And I didn't want external pressures to influence that. So it took a few months actually before I got to a place where I was like, I don't really care what you say. I'm going to do what feels right to me. So I think we have to be very careful with what we're saying to each other. If someone is going to a party or to see other people, yeah, it's not the safest thing right now. Yeah, they're probably contributing to the spread. Yeah, they're probably risking 
giving it to someone who might not be able to fight it and then they might end up in hospital or worse dead or with long-term complications but I'm trying not to shame anyone because I don't know what they're mentally going through you know maybe they're cut off from their family and they're living somewhere on their own for months on end and that in itself like the mental health impacts of that are so huge that if this is how somebody's coping by going to see friends you know that's your business my role as a friend is to provide you with the information like hey maybe weigh this up and weigh that up against this but at the end everyone has to make their own informed decision without feeling guilty because it's just such a difficult time right now you know and it's 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 ongoing it's going on for so long so yeah I think shaming in any aspect whether people are going out or they're staying in needs to stop let people do what they feel is right based on the information they've processed um, and if you feel like they're doing something wrong gently provide them with the information and then leave them to it so in answer to that leave on red if anyone's shaming for whichever reason Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I That's love that much. you brought up the other side too, because there is shaming going on for the folks who are like, okay, if you want me to come to this event, everyone needs to get tested. You know, that's my boundary or else I can't come or like, yeah. I can't go to, you know, I, so I love that you brought it up on both sides because it absolutely is happening yeah, on both ends. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just so tough, man. It's really hard. Um, but yeah, let's just, yeah. just be gentle to each other and advise each other and if someone is being I've seen people who are like no like there's a colleague I have at work she's just she hasn't come in since March and that's absolutely fine other people in the lab were like oh we're all coming in but she just doesn't feel safe she doesn't want to and you know and that's that's okay so definitely yeah we need to stop doing that um, there is in a New York Times opinion piece by this woman, Michelle Goldberg, that I read earlier. And um, the little clip before you go to the article says, many liberals aren't speaking honestly about the small risk they're taking to protect their mental health. And it just goes into like this concept of loneliness and the different ways that people are coping and the different little you know, things. I feel like everyone does their own like rationale, rationalization of the things they do. They're like, yeah. I did this, but... But, but, oh, yeah. but and yeah. I mean, because a lot of things about wanting to feel good about yourself. Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say, I think a lot of people want to feel good about themselves and like the choices that they're making. And there's some kind of a thing like, well, I have been doing this and that. And we only see people inside for an hour or we every time we see each other, we're sitting outside. I don't let anybody come in to use the bathroom. But like, what is better? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're definitely navigating a very tough time. And yeah, I feel like people are trying to justify themselves. And I'm like, you don't need to justify yourself. If you feel it's right, and hopefully you're doing the right thing and you're protecting people, don't justify. Just, you know, I hope you're doing the right thing, basically. Well, yeah, thanks. I would like to point out, though, that I feel, I feel like the title of that is a little off, like the small risk. It's not a small risk. Like someone could die, but... That's, that's just my opinion. Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly how to say it. But that's my opinion. Because at the end of the day, that's based on your life circumstances. You might be living in an, a, a big house that allows you to like move from one room to the other. Someone might be in a space where they're living with six roommates. And, they're, and so that risk to them is actually not so big because they're already. So yeah, it, it depends. Like I feel like it's a big risk, but it's up to you what you feel. All right, y'all. It's time for the group chat. I would just love if you could share 
a little bit more background about yourself, your work, and um, just kind of break down, if you can, the, the basics of, if this exists, the basics of COVID-19. <laughs> okay, so because I'm not actually, a, I'm not a clinician, um, my background is actually in public health. So I worked uh, for Public Health England um, in health system preparedness in case of a crisis like this. So I had a lot of like background knowledge into how a country's system will respond to a pandemic or any other crisis. Um, so I worked in public health and for the government for a few years after my master's. Um, I have a master's in toxicology. Um, and then I, I thought governmental work. I was young at the time. I was like 23. I had like a nine to five. I had a pension. I had everything. And I was like, is this what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my life? And, you know, the UK has a lot of bureaucracy and red tape. And so I, 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 I quit. <laughs> I quit. I was like, OK, I went I went back to do my Ph.D., and my PhD is in uh, neuroscience. So I was looking at how the gut and the brain um, connect with each other to like influence behavior. Um, and I was mainly focused in like the first two years of life. So like when your brain is still really developing and it's very open to insults from your environment, I was looking at how diet can influence brain development and in particular milk, because milk has like a bunch of active components that can influence the brain. So I did my PhD and my PhD sort of touched on um, how milk is connected to autism and the role of the immune system because your, um, your gut bacteria, they're bacteria. So obviously they will influence your immune system. And actually the immune system is what we think is um, a, a key player in influencing the brain and development. So um, I have some insight knowledge into the immune system too. And then once I finished my PhD, I moved here to the US to do my postdoc. And I'm still studying the gut-brain axes in, in, in autism. Um, and in particular, I'm focusing on metabolites that are released by your bacteria um, and how they also influence the immune system and how that influences your brain. And so when COVID hit, with my background of public health and immunology, it was like, okay, I just delved into the literature, you know, it was like a global crisis. I was already kind of into like um, science communication and public health. So my Instagram basically just turned into reading the data and the literature and trying to break it down to people in a, in a simple way to help guide their, um, their decisions. And then, yeah, Clubhouse was launched. I got invited into there and then all the rooms communicating science there so yeah I took it off Instagram and off Twitter and into Clubhouse if I had more time I would be trying to do science communication in other forms podcasts um, videos eventually I want to get into documentaries but for now it's science communication um, via social media um, and whichever topic people um, are interested in obviously my background is neuroscience but right now COVID is the main topic of interest. So I've kind of switched my science communication to COVID. Yeah, you mentioned your background in public health. I'm curious if you can share what the management of um, the virus looked like in different countries and how we've seen different, I guess, like qualities of life and, and of course, like different impacts on um, mortality in different places. Like we were just looking at something on Instagram that people in Taiwan are like out and about maskless going to carnivals and stuff and everybody's good so yeah um, i didn't realize they were sorry um 
I didn't realize they were maskless in Taiwan from what I understand. I understand. So it's really interesting you bring that question up because when COVID first hit, I was like, this is when we're going to learn so much about different systems around the world. We're going to realize which ones work, which ones don't work, which ones need to adjust. And so China, as a lot of you know, is it, I want to say it's a, it's a dictatorship or it's, it's communism. It's yeah, it's communism. A communist light or something, I'm not sure. Right, okay. Right. Yeah, we might want to use the right terminology. But in general, they're not an individualistic society. They operate as part of a whole. And so when COVID hit there, like the government saying, everyone stay home, everyone wear masks, everyone did it. You kind of don't have a choice. But in land of the free, America, and the in-between, which is Europe, people are very individualistic, right? And... Um, it's really interesting because in the UK, I realized the government is not very transparent, right? They make a decision and they let you know that decision's been made. Tier four, lockdown, whatever it is, this is what we've decided. Vaccine, it's rolling out. They're not very transparent, right? But it doesn't mean that they're doing wrong things. It's just they make the decision in the Houses of Parliaments, they roll it out. And then what I'm realizing is happening in the UK, especially with the vaccine right now, everyone's, there's a lot of conspiracy theories flying around in the UK. Whereas in the US, land of the free, um, it means that decisions are sometimes made that are not very good. For example, enslaving people wasn't a very good choice, was it? But it's because they were allowed to make that decision. They did it. Um, but with time, what I'm realizing in the U.S. is people are demanding transparency. So right now, the FDA is having to be so transparent with the approval of these vaccines. It's it's live on, you know, you can log in and watch them reach the decision live. In the U.K., they didn't have that. They just approved the vaccine and they were like, right, guys, we're rolling it out from December 11th. No insight into anything. Whereas in the U.S., because of the history, because of everything that the U.S. has done, they've had to be transparent now. But I'm realizing with that transparency, we're still getting people saying, well, how do we know they don't want to, and, and you know, it's justified, so I don't want to say it in a condescending way, but people are like, how do we know this vaccine is safe? How do we know you're not trying to kill us or you're not trying to depopulate us? And, and that's, it really links back to this history of being land of the free, which means you can do whatever you want and certain powers abuse that. And now it means people are not trusting them. So in answer to your question, from a public health perspective right now, we're just seeing what kind of systems work. I think Europe and the UK in general, they have a pretty good system because the people in government are not as free to do what they want to do, um, but they're not very transparent. So they, they would benefit from a bit of transparency right now to gain more trust. Euro, uh, US... US is so tough. I really like this land of the free mentality, but I feel with that you get the bad and you get the good. And because there's the bad, people only see the bad and they forget actually there's a lot of good that comes out of the US as well because we're allowed to, you know, do as we want basically. So in general, right now, I feel like Europe and the US are really doing badly because everyone's so individualistic. Everyone is allowed to be opinionated and voice what they, they, their concerns, which is a great thing. But when it comes to a public health crisis like this, a system like China's works better where it's like people will just follow the rules because they kind of, 
have no option but to. But then there's places like New Zealand, which is led by a woman, which is doing amazing, <laughs> you know, that and what yes. realizing we might need more women in government, you know, we might need that kind of balanced voice that females bring to the table. Um, and so, yeah, we're learning a lot about systems right now from a public health perspective. There's definitely going to be a lot of lessons that need to be implemented um, for the future. But yeah, you're right. There's definitely places, I think from what I saw, China, the last time they had a death was April 26 from COVID. Yeah. Um, wow. Taiwan's doing well, New Zealand's doing well. So there's places that have managed to control it. So everyone's like, where did this virus come from? People believe it's zoonotic. So there's like, there were two species. There's talks of bats and pangaloins and the wet markets. Do we have an understanding yet of where it came from? So there's actually a paper that came out in Science Magazine recently saying we really need to understand where this virus came from because we need to prevent it from happening again. And the article, I can send it to you guys, but um, it's basically giving all the possibilities. So the highest possibility is that it did exactly like you said, this is a zoonotic virus. That means it jumped from an animal into human. And the kind of conditions that you see in a lot of these meat, meat markets are perfect for that because you have so many dead animals and the conditions are not great and there's bacteria and there's things mixing with each other that wouldn't have usually mixed with each other. And so it's the perfect kind of condition for that to happen. But because apparently the first case um, that occurred hadn't it didn't have a link to the market so that the person case you know one was not linked to this market so they were like okay that's that's concerning um and in that in that article they actually highlight the possibility so there's there's a bunch of scientists who are constantly actually hunting for these viruses so that they can study them and prepare some sort of vaccine and you know just know how they work in case they ever do spread into the into the public so they call them virus hunters. And sometimes when they find these strains, they study them in the lab. So apparently in Wuhan, there is a lab that was studying a virus that had 96 point something percent similarity to, to the strain that we're seeing right now. Now, that's not necessarily to say they released it on purpose. You know, coronaviruses, which is the family of viruses that SARS-CoV-2 belongs to, we've seen a number of pandemics happen because of them from SARS to MERS. Uh, the common cold that we get every year is from coronaviruses. So there's a lot of labs studying these viruses as it is. Um, but yeah, that's another point in that article that, you know, maybe we need to be looking into these labs that were studying them. And is it a possibility that it leaked out of there? It's not, it's not concluded right now. In science, you really have to keep all options open. We know Wuhan was the center we know that's where it originated from. The market is definitely an option. Um, the crossover being studied in a lab is also an option. There's a, a number of options right now as to where it came from. But likelihood is it really did jump, you know, it crossed in, in two animals and then jumped into, into humans is a very, very likely possibility. We, we knew this was coming. We knew this was coming just because of the way humans are living right now and markets like the market in Wuhan are like kind of increasing in numbers. Um, 
and they're kind of hotspots that uh, a lot of these scientists keep their eyes on because they're like, this is the perfect conditions for something like this to happen from. So from my perspective, I think a market like that is the most likely place from which it originated. And I thought no bats. <laughs> That's like a, a myth. Um, I mean, it could have. So I really need to look into this more. That's so why I'm trying to avoid that part. But it could have been that it jumped from a bat into an animal that was in the meat market. That's definitely a possibility. And I'm not sure if the Wuhan market had bats or they were selling bats. I need to look into that. But it doesn't change the fact that it could have jumped from a bat into a, a, another species mixed and then jumped into humans. That's definitely a possibility. Question. And when you say jumped, what does that look like? Does that mean that the a human like ate the meat or like touched the slob of a pig and touched their yeah. face? Like <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't mean like it literally hopped, but yeah, if somebody ate it, ingested it, touched it, then touched themselves, like, yeah, it's through contact, basically. There's a good, um, oh, sorry, I was going to say there's a good Netflix explained on coronavirus, and they they did, they went a lot into like bats, bats carrying a lot of viruses, and these like virus hunters, and literally like they go into caves and get these bats and study them a lot, because I guess per this documentary, bats carry a lot of viruses. Um, And because of like just globalization, like you said, the way we're living now, like as humans, we're inching closer and closer and closer into populations that typically we're not, you know, humans were not interacting with other animals um, like bats and whatever. So check that out. Yeah, no, that documentary was great. And then I really want to recommend another documentary called... um, uh, by David Attenborough, A Life on Our Planet. I think that's what it's called. They actually talks about how we really need to re- watch how we're living right now because we've reached a point that's really quite disastrous for our environment. And unless we start reversing a lot of these ways of living um, and getting our kids from now to start thinking about um, more environmentally friendly ways of living, our future is looking really quite dark and not great um so that's a documentary i would recommend and it's not a dark documentary the first half of it he's talking about all the negatives he's seen in his hundred years of living the decline that he's seen in the environment but the second half of the documentary is really uplifting like all the things we can start doing today uh to kind of reverse what we've done to the world yeah, I know a lot of my vegan friends are like, this is the time you need to go vegan. That's why this happened. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah. there might be something, you know, personally, me, I'm not a vegan or a vegetarian, but I definitely believe in eating in balance. So how we I always think about how we used to live as, as hunter gatherers and we would eat what was seasonally available. So in the summer, naturally, we eat more fruits and vegetables because that's what's available And then in the winter months, when we need more insulation, yeah, like a bit of protein is good for you. I I think extremes are are not good. I don't know, but I think personally for my body type, um, an extreme of like completely no animal protein doesn't work for me. But too much animal protein, I just don't like meat in general, but I get phases where I'm like, oh, I need need a bit of meat. So I definitely recommend balance. And yeah, maybe we like the way we eat meat right now is is ridiculous. It's definitely not good for us environmentally and health wise. So Corona crown, the receptor thing looks like a crown. What's the deal with that? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, I remember when the images first came out, I was like, why does it look so evil? Um, it does. <laughs> it does, right? It's like it, come, it came along with this crown, like, I'm the king now. Um, so, yeah, it has spikes on its surface. And, you know, they looked at kind of like the, the hands of the, of the virus and it uses those spikes to bind to receptors, that, those ACE2 receptors that I mentioned. And as soon as it binds to those receptors, the receptor kind of engulfs the, the virus, so it enters your cell. And so viruses, <laughs> your face, Chelsea, um, viruses are actually really intelligent. Um, they realized a long time ago, the way, this is how I look at it. Originally, there was the bacteria cell, there was the like mammalian kind of cell, and there was the, the virus, there was the virus. Bacteria and, and the mammalian cells realized we can live in harmony. So right now inside you, you have more bacteria cells then you have human cells. We're basically a bunch of bacteria walking around and they do really great things for us. They help us metabolize things and we give them a place to live. And so it's like a harmonious relationship. The virus was like, I don't need any of this. All I need to do is hijack your machinery and replicate myself and then come out of your machinery and go into an... So viruses, they're not living things, but um, they just hijack our own cells to make more of themselves and that's how they stay alive. So um, the spike on the surface is an essential component that the virus needs to enter your cell and then hijack the machinery. That's so rude. I'm so creeped out. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, and you know, the other thing about why they're so intelligent is, so once they've hijacked your cell and they've come in and they've replicated, you have an, an amazing immune response. Uh, our immune systems are so amazing in protecting us. Um, and they're kind of, I'll go a bit more into that later, but um, they produce antibodies against the virus once they've seen it. They're like, okay, I know you, I know how to beat you. And you kind of like retain information of the different kind of viruses that you've been exposed to. And so I guess when viruses figured out that we can beat them, they figured out, okay, I can mutate and change my, <laughs> my receptors enough so that when I come into you again, you, your immune system doesn't recognize me. And that's why every year with the influenza, we need a new kind of vaccine against it because it's changed enough that now our body doesn't recognize it. Same with the common cold, which is also coronavirus induced. Um, they mutate too, and then your body thinks it's a new cold each and every time. HIV, we've been battling with HIV for so long. And again, it's because it keeps mutating. Malaria, like we have so many examples of viruses that we just haven't been able to defeat. Like it's not, and even now when people say, you know, you haven't been able to cure HIV, how are you going to cure coronavirus with this vaccine? And that's where this new strain in the UK comes in. And we're like, you see, we told you, we actually don't know if we can even beat this. But for now, for the even the strain in the UK, we know it hasn't mutated enough, hopefully, to evade the immune response that the vaccine will induce. But we can go into a bit more detail with your following questions. So that's what the spike protein does in, in response. So this might be kind of a silly question. This is not on my list, but as we're talking, I guess it's like, have there just been viruses existing since the beginning of time like forever because like when I think about um 
sure, like the time of hunter gatherers or even like later on in life, sure, like people didn't have the longest lifespans. And could it just be that those viruses weren't like notated or we just didn't have the like scientific language to speak about the things that were killing us? Or is there like a change in our society and our lifestyles that are causing more viruses to be prevalent? Yeah, no, they've definitely always been around and actually they've been wiping us out or like, you know, we've been struggling with them a lot more in the past, I would say, you know, there was the bubonic plague in Europe that wiped out half of Europe. Uh, There was the Spanish flu in 1918 that, yeah, it killed a lot more than um, this current pandemic. Uh, there was polio, the polio outbreaks, um, and there was a big pandemic here in the US. You know, there's still some survivors from that who were living in, like I posted about it recently in my stories. It affected them so badly, it crippled them, like it literally paralyzes you from head down that they had to live in these big um, metal lungs, basically. They called them lungs, and you, you'd just go in it and you'd, only your head would be showing and it, it helps you breathe by like changing the air pressure around you so that was polio and that was polio that was a virus um and that's why a lot of the vaccines we have now from nmr to measles to mumps polio people forget this is what we would have been living with if it wasn't for vaccines if it wasn't and vaccines are not a new concept like people in africa for there's uh, evidence for it they realized okay there's viruses that come and they make us sick and they kill us But actually, if we take the virus or, you know, and and, uh, inactivate it or kill it and then inject ourselves with it, we're actually um, immune to it. So the concept of vaccination is an ancient concept. It's not a new concept at all. It's just now with technology, especially now with this new mRNA technology, we're improving the kind of vaccines we can we can give. Um, And I was actually watching a really interesting documentary recently on ancient Egypt. And, you know, when they find the mummies um, and they look into their bones, because part of your immune cells that remember a virus, they go and hide in your bones after a while, like they go and retreat there. And when they looked at these ancient Egyptian mummies and they looked at in their bone marrow, they saw immune cells against malaria. And that's when they realized, oh, malaria was actually even, this was like the first evidence to show that ancient Egyptians were also living with malaria. And it killed a lot of them. You know, they could see it in the way their bones deformed and in the in the bone marrow. So yeah, you, there's evidence for viruses from way back when, and there's evidence for vaccines from way back when. As soon as humans realized, okay, these things exist and they make us sick, this is how we can kind of uh, protect ourselves from them. That's so insightful. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I need to remember the name of the documentary, but I'm obsessed with ancient Egypt. So, um, yeah, if I remember the name, I'll send it to you guys after. It's also on Netflix. I highly recommend it. I hope they didn't make the people in the documentary white. But oh my god! <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the reenactors. Yeah. <laughs> I hate when you they know, do that. I, it's just, I don't know how they went from seeing these paintings of black people, they're painted black, they're black. And then for some reason in, you know, media and film, they were made white. I mean, the Greeks, you know, what's her name? Um, Cleopatra and those yeah. like, by the later dynasties, there was like an influence from outside and they mixed, but the ancient Egyptians drew themselves as black, right? They're right. 
the environment in Africa means you need more melanin because of the sun. So at yeah. most they were light skinned. <laughs> yeah, even then I don't think so. But yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um, but but I mean you just explained that so well. So why do you think there's so much you know, if vaccines have been like a thing that have been going on since ancient Egypt, why is there so much pushback now? So freedom of speech, maybe now I'm joking. I think, I think what happened with vaccines was the autism story, right? Yes. Um, the prevalence of autism has been increasing. It started, I think, increasing around the 1960s. And I think it coincided with the like this new um, NMR vaccine, like you were given three in one go. Um, and so people linked to the two. They were like, okay, these vaccinations that we're now getting from childhood have to be correlated to this increase in vaccination. And there was a scientist um, who came out, or he was a doctor, I think medical doctor, who came out and said, yeah, vaccines cause autism. His publication was based on 12 cases that he saw, and it was rejected by the scientific community. They were like, you know, you can't make claims like this is dangerous because now you're going to deter all these people from taking these vaccines and you're going to risk us going into another pandemic or, you know, or going back in time because you're kind of reversing everything we've progressed into. So he, people responded to him very severely. And I think that's where a lot of the conspiracy theories came. Like, why was he like taken off the medical boards? Why was he name bashed so much? The reason why is because you're, he was a risk to public health. You're actually going to make us go back to living in a time where, when we didn't have medical advances. So because of the timing where the, where um, autism started to increase and vaccinations were happening, people linked the two and people like him really didn't help. But if that was really the case, and I study autism for a living, so I feel like I can probably weigh in on this a little bit. If that was the case, why are, like, why are cases in autism still increasing? Like still, and we haven't increased the number of vaccines we're given but autism year by year, it's now one in 54 kids who have autism. And from my research, and I, you know, I spend however many hours a day researching this, the overwhelming evidence right now is pointing towards um, maternal immune activation. So if the mother, while she's pregnant, if she gets sick to a point that her immune system is really active, that can affect the, the developing fetus. Um, personally, I'm also looking into like environmental influences. You know, we're bombarding ourselves with so many chemicals right now from what we're eating to lip fillers and butt injections. And does anyone question that? I'm like, you're questioning vaccines, but does anyone question all these things that we're injecting ourselves with? with? And then, you know, so it's just like, there's a lot of chemicals in the environment right now and the way I'm studying autism is both, both the genetic component and the environmental component. So with all diseases, there's always a genetic factor and there's always an environmental factor. And so you need to look at both before you answer something. But um, in answer to your question, I think vaccines are being um, rejected so badly right now is because we're seeing an increase in other conditions and people are like, oh, it must be because of the vaccine. Let's let's look at all the other harmful things that don't actually have a benefit to us in a public health way that might be causing this before we jump on vaccines. 
I'm even thinking about the the amount of like technology, like the phones and the computers, like radiation. Like I don't I don't know, like technically, the, but like even yeah. I'm thinking about like how much more prevalent all these devices are versus like 30 years ago. Yeah. We were just talking about that in another room in Clubhouse, actually, like how technology, you know, I think technology is kind of birthed from a place of need. And as far as I know right now, like there's no chemical coming at me from my screen to induce an immune response in me. It could be stressing me out because stress does activate your immune system. And it could be like we're living in a, in a more stressful time. And so immune systems are all over the place. Um also linking it back to my, you know, because I have to always take it back to what I know. And in my research, I was looking at how diet in the first two years of a child's life um, can influence brain development. And, you know, so we're weaning our kids off breast milk, but then we put them onto cow's milk, which is made for a baby cow. So it has proteins and bioactive components that are not made for a human. And you're bombarding a newly forming baby brain with that stuff in the first two years. And so that could really be linked to some neurodevelopmental disorders. Another quick thing I, I need to mention about vaccines and the link to autism, um, autism, the, the features of it or symptoms start to show in the first two years. That's when you start to recognize, oh, my baby's not responding or they're not socially you know, responding. And so because that's when those symptoms start to show and that's also the time that babies are also given their vaccination. Again, the two are happening at the same time. So the link can be made quite easily. Like, oh, I gave my child the, the vaccine. And then, you know, two days later, he stopped responding. He stopped. You can't dismiss it. But from the correlation that the two are happening at the same time, you can't say that one is because of the other. Symptoms of autism just tend to show in the first two years of life. Before you explain how the vaccine actually works, because I think that will be important to like dispel any, you know, feelings people may have. I'm just curious, is there, can you get tested or can your baby or fetus get tested to know if it might have autism? Um, or you just have to wait and see? I mean, there's... Um... Right now, so we're doing a lot of genetic profiling to know if there's genes that are, are linked to autism. And I think one of the biggest GYs, which is genome-wide association studies that was done, identified 102 genes that increase your risk of getting autism. So I think when mothers are pregnant, they usually do this panel of screens to check if your child's going to have Down syndrome or any other severe genetic disease. And then they kind of give you the option if they do find one of the mutations early enough in the pregnancy, mothers are presented with the option of do you want to continue with this pregnancy um, or do you want to terminate? With genetic um, advances being made, there's like we're looking into ways to kind of reverse some of these genetic mutations. So in answer to your question without like losing track, with some of the testing that you do early on in pregnancy, you might be able to screen for autism now that we're kind of getting a hang on which genes are associated with it. But because autism is both genetic and environmental, you might do the screen in pregnancy and see that you have a mutation in one of the risk genes, but it doesn't necessarily mean your child's gonna have it. Maybe they're born 
And then, you know, for example, they're given cow's milk and then that kind of like activates the gene or, you know, the two combined together and you have, they have autism. So genetic screening is one option that's going to soon become available for autism or genetic testing. Um, but yeah, there's like milestones that they check for in development. When you have a child in the first two years, they check like responsiveness, hearing. Um, and so through those screens, you can kind of check um, if your child has autism. And actually, it's really important to catch autism quite early, because if it's caught early, you can start doing the measures, which a lot of it is actually like how the parent interacts with the kid, putting them in the right school. If you catch it early, the, the child's development is kind of like um, saved in a way. Whereas if you don't catch it and then you don't know what's up with the child and then they've kind of like they're set in that way, it's harder to, to, to reverse it. So, yeah, it's best to catch it. And that's something actually the black community, um, because they um, in general, they don't bring their child to the doctor early enough for whatever reason. They don't trust the doctors. Again, all of these things are justified uh, considering how badly the medical system has failed the black community the black community lacks in identifying autism early enough um, to bring the child in for treatment or like cognitive therapy and stuff like that. So yeah, it's better to be caught early, um, basically. Okay, sorry to throw us off, but I have baby fever. Back to the vaccine. Oh. How does it work? <laughs> oh. oh, that's so cute. So do I. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love it. Um, well, jumping in to just like debunking some things about the vaccine, I have a couple myths that I'd love us to like myth bust, but I'd also love um, for you to just, yeah, kind of explain how the vaccine works. Like people have been saying it's more like an email like I've heard that analogy used a lot, which I think is really helpful. Wait, what does <laughs> yeah. that mean? So because it's basically a message. So before we go into this, the main thing that I think needs to always be explained is something that we call the central dogma of how like um, DNA works. So DNA, as you guys know, is that like double helix spiral. It carries your code. So it carries what makes you, your hair color, your eyes, your skin, any mutations, whatever, it's all in that double helix. So it's really, really precious. And because it's so precious, that double helix kind of like, it's wound up so tightly to protect this genetic code, that, which is your code for life. So when a protein needs to be made, so say you lost a strand of hair and a new strand needs to be formed, or like, uh, you know, and your nail needs to grow, whatever, these are all proteins. When that needs to happen, the DNA kind of opens up to the place where the code carrying that, that protein, the, carrying the code for that protein is. So it, it doesn't open up the whole of itself. It just opens up that specific region. And then machinery comes in and it binds to that region to copy it. Because at no point can your body be like, yeah, I can just take this code, go make the DNA and return it. No, because it, your body doesn't risk, doesn't want to risk mutations happening. So you always go from DNA to messenger RNA. So it's the message of the, of the code, and then it gets made into protein, okay? So DNA, mRNA, protein, that's the central dogma. At no point does it go backwards. At no point can it go mRNA into DNA. So when people say the vaccine is gonna affect my DNA, it's actually naturally impossible because it always goes that way. So 
the virus is the same thing. The virus is actually an RNA. So it's an RNA virus. It's, it, um, so DNA, DNA kind of, yeah, you have DNA and you have RNA. So they're both the same thing. They're both codes for proteins, right? So the coronavirus is an RNA virus. So it has a code. Um, and it actually, the, the virus only has um, 29 proteins. It's a very simple protein. It's a very simple virus. So one of the first things China did when they discovered this uh, virus was they sequenced it. So they knew instantly the code of this virus. They knew it was made of 29 proteins and they sent that, they sent that to the whole world. They were like, guys, here's the code for this virus so you can figure it out. They sequenced it January 10th. January 15th, we had a vaccine against it because once you have the code for the for the, the proteins, we knew the code that was for the spike protein, and then you could make a messenger RNA for that spike protein. So January 15th, companies who have been working on and laboratories who've been working on making vaccines for coronaviruses, because like I said, we knew this was coming, it was a matter of time they were able to see from the sequence, they were able to make that message that carries um, the code for the spike protein. So when people say it's an email, they mean it's a message carrying the code that makes the protein, which is the spike for this virus. The reason why we're so interested in only the spike is because we know that's the key component this virus needs to survive. Or it has other parts that it needs, but that's the most important part. So they sequenced it, they were like, okay, it's made of 29 proteins, here's the code for making these 29 proteins. You can now make a messenger RNA from that. So the vaccine is a messenger RNA, it's a code of how to make your spike protein. So that's why it's called an email. Or Question, why do, why do we want to make the spike protein? Like, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier, where my understanding of a vaccine is it like you are literally being in Injected with the virus, and then that's how. And like, a, I don't know if you can yeah. explain. Yeah, yeah. So um, conventionally, like conventional vaccines are the whole virus. Like uh, we we just take the virus and we'd kill it a little bit, or like heat it up so that it's not so active anymore, and then you inject people with that. That you know, I think China's virus, um, China's vaccine is actually just the whole virus inactivated. But to make it safer this time around, because we knew like giving the whole virus sometimes can induce a really strong immune response or people might react badly to it. So again, because science is progressive, we learn, you know, even from this mRNA, I know it's not great to say, but even from this mRNA vaccine, we're going to learn so that the next time there's a pandemic, we would have adjusted some of the things that we saw with this one. So what we realized, okay, giving the whole the whole virus might not be the safest way to go right now because we just don't know how people's bodies would react to the whole virus. So, you know, mRNA technology has been used in um, cancer treatment because cancer is also something that deals with your immune system a lot. So mRNA treatments have been used a lot actually for cancer treatment. So this time around, they were like, okay, we're not going to give the whole uh, virus. We're just going to give a, the code for the part that makes the spike protein. And we're going to let your body make the spike protein because that's what, how viruses act anyway. They go into your cell and they use your own machinery to make more of themselves. So this time you're giving people the code for the spike protein, uh, which is the mRNA, 
the mRNA goes into your cell. It goes nowhere near your nucleus. Your nucleus is the part that contains all your DNA. It's like a safe box. It's so precious that it's locked away from everything. The mRNA actually sits in the cytoplasm, which is the part around your cell. And there's these really cool machines called ribosomes. They've been around since day dot. These machines read that message. So they, when they see the mRNA floating around, they attach to it, they read it, and they're like, okay, this is a code for a protein, and they make that protein. So your cells are actually going to make the spike protein. Now, when your cells make the spike protein, as soon as they make it, they're like, wait, this is foreign. This doesn't belong to me. This is not a hair protein. This is not a nail protein. I don't know what this is. So what your cell does is it takes the spike and it kind of presents it on its surface, right? The surface of the cell. And it does this because it's trying to tell the rest of your body, hey, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> like there's, I've got these spike proteins in me. Come kill me, right? So once it presents the spike on its surface, um, your immune cells, which are like, floating around your body. So you have the innate immune response, which is your, like the initial response. They come and they see the cell and they're like, oh my God, what's this on the cell? And they nuke it. You have like these T killer cells. They literally nuke the cell. Um, and then you have other cells that they recognize the spike and they bind to it and they produce antibodies to that specific uh, spike protein. So you now have cells that specifically recognize the spike protein and they know how to kill the spike protein in case they ever see it again. Um, and so those antibodies, um, which are specific to the spike protein, they float around in your blood system for like six months. So that's why when they say um, they're seeing that the antibodies decline after six months, it's, it's actually really normal. People need to remember um, you can't have all the antibodies in your system that recognize different things floating around all the time because they float around and they, they're saved in places called lymph nodes, which you have like here and in your armpits. Um, and if we had all these antibodies all the time, our lymph nodes would be so big and so swollen. And I heard one of my colleagues des describe it in this way, like we'd be walking around looking like chipmunks <laughs> all the time. So we need them to fade after a little while. But they don't, when they fade, there's a subset of them called the B, B cells. Those are the ones that go and hide in your bone marrow. So they stay in your back bone marrow and they remain, if, if you're ever exposed to that virus in the future, they come right back out and they're like, we know you, we know how to kill you. So right now, all the clinical trials that are being done, they're measuring how long your antibodies to the spike protein last. And we see that they last six to 12 months. Now to measure the other kind of cells which hide in the bone marrow um, is kind of harder to assess, but there's a really good chance that you're gonna have the memory to this spike protein for quite a long time after the antibodies in your bloodstream wait, like uh, start to decline. So that's how the vaccine works. That's why they call it a, a message. I have one quick question. How does this work differently? Is it because the, your body is producing it internally that it's able to fight it, that your immune system is able to fight it? Because it's like, why is my body producing something foreign versus when it enters your body? Like, why are some people's bodies, their immune systems not able to fight off something that entered? Does so, that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. So um, whether your own cells produce it or the virus enters your body, 
because even when the virus enters your body as a whole, not just the spike, like say the whole virus with all of its spikes comes in, your immune system is going to recognize the whole virus as well as the cells that are infected with the virus. So in both cases, whether your, your cells are, because even when the real virus comes into your body, all it's doing is entering your cells and making more of itself, but it's making more of its whole self, like the whole Shazam. And so that's why you get sicker because it's the whole virus now. And when the whole virus is there, so when the cell explodes, it's releasing like, I don't know the exact number, but like say tenfold the number of the, the one virus that came in, now there's 10 of them. Now those 10 go and infect 10 other cells go in and now there's like however many more. So it, it, it just, it gets out and really quickly. With a vaccine, because you're only giving your, your body the spike protein, not the whole thing, you're gonna, it's safer. It's 10 times safer than you being exposed to the real virus and it replicating out of control. The mRNA will only last in your body a couple days and then it, it goes after that. So in those two days, your body's generating the antibody response. You get a bit of fever, you get chills because your body's thinking this is a whole blown infection. Um, and then it goes and then you're good. You've got antibodies and now you're, you're fine. But yeah, it's a lot more dangerous when you're exposed to the whole virus, which still enters your, your cells and it still replicates itself. And that's why it's that email analogy, right? Because it's like, it's a message. It's, it's like, it goes in your inbox and it's like, Hey, alert versus like you click in the email and you open it all up and there's all this stuff that you have to like process. Yeah. You could have like, um, emails for the whole virus. Uh, right. So in this case, we're taking the safer approach of just being like, okay, here's the key component, um, that you need another, I don't know if I'll let you continue to ask your questions, but, um, you know, the question of people saying, um, if I've already got the virus before and I fell sick and I already have immune cells, why should I take the vaccine? And, the, and you know, that's a very good question. And actually, there's some people saying that if you've already had it, you might be bottom of the line in terms of people who get vaccinated, just because we already know you're kind of safe for now. Uh, whereas there's other people who are completely like unprotected. The reason they're recommending that even if you've had it before to take it again is because when you're infected with the whole virus, um, you can produce an antibody response to different parts of the virus, not just the spike protein. You can form an anti -respo antibody response to some of the components inside the virus, right? And if your immune system does that, if it mounts an immune response or antibodies to different parts of the virus, they don't last as long and they're not as protective. They're not as neutralizing, right? They won't, the next time the virus comes, your antibodies that only recognize this part of the virus are not strong enough to nuke the virus totally. What we do know is the immune response to the spike is the most neutralizing. So we can say, hey, we don't know what kind of immunity you have. You might not have neutralizing immunity, but if you take the vaccine, at least we know you have immunity to the spike, and so you can nuke this virus better than um, your current immune response. Got it. Um, so could we debunk like a couple of the myths I've heard so far? We've talked about autism, um, that it changes your DNA. Um, what's the deal with the Bell's palsy? 
Yeah, that's uh, that's it. So um, a key thing to remember, because right now there's actually been no proven link between the vaccine and Bell's palsy. What you have to remember is when you're giving a vaccine to the whole world, like us millions, billions of people, you have to ask the question of what was the normal rate of Bell's palsy happening in the population without a vaccine coming in. So those four people that got Bell's palsy, I think it was in the UK, what was the chance of them getting that Bell's palsy independent of them getting the vaccine? Because again, it's that link that we saw with autism and we see like people fainting. It's like you any times, because you're going to hear this a lot in the next few months. The one advice I have for people is ask yourself or ask the internet or ask professionals, what's the normal background rate that these incidences would have been happening at independent of a vaccine being given or not. And then if they're happening at a higher rate now that the vaccine is being given, then yeah, you can be like, okay, there might be a link. And again, you have to consider other factors like, you know, autism happened to be increasing at the same time as um, uh, vaccinations or that three-dose vaccination was being given. If there is a higher rate happening, as a scientist, you always have to look at all other factors that could be contributing to before you can safely, or you can say, this is causing this. It's, it, it takes a lot of work for you to say this is causing this because, you know, I've been working in the field. I'm still trying to get my PhD paper out because I'm trying to say this is causing this. And people are like, well, how do you know it's not this or that or this or, you all know, right. factors. Um, so, yeah, you just always have to ask. Um, background rate and what other factors could be contributing okay I have two more sorry do you know about the um, incident in which people got vaccinated and then they were developing um, signs of being HIV positive I want to say have you heard about that no that that one's new to me that one's new to me. I did yesterday in one of the rooms, it came up that um, there was another viral. So there is evidence that, um, not vaccination, but if you get infected with a virus, so say you got infected with SARS-CoV-2, it, c- it can initiate previous viral inf- infections that you've had. So I think it was HBV, um, that there was a link between a viral infection happening and then a previous viral infection that you had in the past now becoming reactivated. But that hasn't been shown with a vaccine because, again, the vaccine is usually either the dead form or, in this case, only like part of the virus. So I haven't seen anything linked with the vaccine. It's it's not possible. It's not possible. I read a lot. Yeah, no, it's crazy articles. (laughs) It's good, honestly. Some of the questions that we get as well, it's like, and you can't dismiss anything again because everyone's entitled to ask questions everyone's entitled to be concerned this is a scary time we've never been through this before so personally I try not to laugh off any questions people have or any connections that they have and you know if they're really like adamant I'm like send me the paper that if there's one thing I'm trained at is like critically analyzing data and critically analyzing a paper and I can get back to you with an answer but yeah in terms of the vaccine and inducing any HIV infections I haven't seen that and then for those who are saying it hasn't been like the vaccine hasn't been tested for long enough and like are um, hesitant because of how rapidly it's been um, produced. Could you kind of like 
set that those apprehensions at ease? Yeah, I think the operation that was behind getting the vaccine out being called Operation Warp Speed wasn't the <laughs> Those Not are great PR. Trumpy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is why public health and uh, science communication is so important. But it was named that because like how, what can we get together? Like which companies do we need to bring together and researchers in case this ever happens that we, all of our minds can come together and get this out quicker or quickly. So um, all the steps that are taken for a vaccine to come out were taken for this vaccine. There were no shortcuts because you can't take shortcuts of people's lives. The whole reason a vaccine is coming out is to protect people's lives. So you're not going to try and get something out that's going to kill people when you're trying to protect them. So all of this, all of the steps were taken, the preclinical trials, which are in animals, then the phase one, phase two, phase three, all of that happened. We need to remember that this is SARS-CoV-2. So it means there was a SARS-CoV-1, there was SARS, there was MERS, there were so many little pandemics before this one where vaccines needed to be developed um, against, um, against the virus. So in the background, when all of us were getting on with our normal lives, BC, before Corona, all of these researchers were working on things like this. They were working on vaccine development to a coronavirus. They were working on um, these pipelines were already in place. Like, okay, if a, if a uh, vaccine, if a pandemic happens, which are the pharma companies that we're going to reach out to to mass produce this vaccine? Who's going to do the sequencing of the, era, uh, of the RNA? Who are they going to reach out to? So if you're in government, a good government should be preparing to save its people at all times from terrorist attacks, pandemics or whatever. So all of these pipelines were already in place, especially because there were so many little pandemics caused by coronaviruses. So it was kind of like a warning that, hey, a bigger one is coming soon. So number one, there was already pipelines in place. There was already research into coronavirus vaccines happening. And number three, when it really did hit, one of the biggest things that sped up this process was funding. The governments were like, yo, our economy has come to a standstill. No one's out buying, no one's shopping, no one's, it was an emergency. So governments actually funneled billions of dollars into vaccine development because usually clinical trials are really expensive. So in a normal case, they'd start, they'd do the preclinical, then they'd kind of have to pause to raise more money to do the second phase. Then they have to pause to like recruit more people to do the third phase. And so it can take up to 10, 10 years. In this case, the, there was no shortage of money. There was no shortage of people uh, volunteering because this the virus was so widespread anyway. We already had a lot of people to study. So the major hindrances that are usually there to prevent a, um, a vaccine coming out quickly were removed. Um, and actually, a lot of the funding came from government. It didn't come from pharma companies because it's pharma companies never want to invest in a vaccine during an emergency because look like this, this strain coming out, this new strain, it could hinder a vaccine ineffective and they've spent millions and billions on it. And then it's like, well, it doesn't work. So vaccine companies actually were like, government, this is your job. Give us the money if you want us to do this because, yeah, it's not a worthwhile investment for them. Um, so yeah, it, it didn't it didn't come out quickly at the cost of any corners being cut. And I think another key thing to remember here is 
these vaccines got emergency use author authorization. Their author, this is not full FDA approval. Full FDA approval takes a while because of bureaucracy and meetings and rah rah. This is for an emergency. This vaccine is approved to reduce moderate to severe COVID, right? Because we're in an emergency. So that's another thing to bear in mind um, is it's emergency use authorization right now, not full FDA approval. So I guess I'm, I'm curious, like how many people need to take this vaccine and like how does that relate to herd immunity, if at all? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the concept of how herd immunity works is like, say I'm not, I'm not immunized, I didn't take the vaccine, I've never been exposed to the virus, but the two people next to me have been vaccinated or they have immunity that means they're going to protect me from catching it because if they ever catch it, they can't pass it on to me. So her, for herd immunity to happen, we need somewhere between 70 to 80% of people to be immune against this virus. So people's counter argument is, so why can't we reach herd immunity naturally? There's two main reasons <laughs> because- That's so mean. I know it's so mean. It's a little unethical. <laughs> This six million people dying is nothing. I've had, you know, my uncle, he was in his late 40s, young man, he died from it. So I'm just like, I don't want to see any more of my people die just for us to reach herd. And why? We're not living back in like hunter-gatherer times. We've evolved, we've learned, we've studied, we've dedicated lives and money and resources to improving our life. Um, so why do it naturally and risk all those people dying? And not even then, People die and then there's others who are long haulers. So even from, I think it's people saying 99% of us survive, 20% data is coming out to show 20% of those have long-term effects. Young, healthy people, athletes who are no longer able to walk 10 steps without running out of breath. You know, some of the stories I've heard on Clubhouse are just so sad. I'm like, I wish more people could hear your story so that they wouldn't be so dismissive of this virus. So with a vaccine, it's the safest way for us to reach herd immunity. So we need 70 to 80% of people to be vaccinated for us to feel like, okay, we kind of got this under control until the next strain or the next mutant version comes out that evades the immune response we currently have, which by the looks of it, I heard a, a vaccine specialist talk about this. This virus is gonna be with us for the rest of our lives. There's gonna be newborn babies who don't have immunity to it, who we're gonna to need to, and this is what we've done. When we need to accept that as a reality, the way it's mutating, the strains we're seeing, it, mean, it most likely means, it's not definitive yet, but it most likely means every year, we're gonna to need to take um, a, a new, just like the flu, virus, uh, flu vaccine, like a new version of the vaccine, which covers the, the, the mutations that have happened. So yeah, that's the reality we're living with. But again, we have to be optimistic that thankfully we have science, you know, personally for me, I'm getting my nephew into science. I hope there'll be more black people in science in the future so that we can answer questions like, hey, how does this vaccine affect people with cardiovascular? I hope black people don't have cardiovascular issues as much in the future and diabetes, but there's genetic conditions that are more prevalent in certain races than others. And so the more of people that look like us that work in science, the more we can consider factors that affect our own people in the future. But yeah, luckily we have science on our side and 
hopefully we can use that science to improve our lives without harming the environment and being able to battle things like this better in the future. So it's not all doom and gloom. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, basically th- these, this mutation that we're seeing in the UK is what we would anticipate and you're in essentially the new normal looks like a yearly COVID vaccine with a flu shot or like wearing masks still all the time oh yeah I mean I I think yeah you know when you watch all these like future sci-fi movies we're always like wearing masks anyway so I think yeah masks are going to be something a lot of us are just going to in general, like, because, you know, we might be immune to this coronavirus and we're going to keep taking vaccines for it. But if we're still having meat markets and whatnot, you know, at any time point, a new virus might jump into us. And then in general, it might just be um, good practice to just, you know, protect ourselves from any any respiratory disease. So I I think the new normal, we're definitely going to be living in a new and how, however that looks with a new vaccine for coronavirus every year, um, maybe like masks. Um, you know, right now I know at Sinai, they're looking into a universal vaccine for the flu. So again, you have to remember science is constantly progressing and it pro- progresses so fast. So eventually we might have figured out how to just give a universal vaccine once and for all against all flu strains. You know, the more minds, this is the amazing things about humans, like one mind, two minds, three minds working on the same problem, you're going to reach a really, really like solid conclusion eventually and find a solution for something. So for now, the foreseeable future and based on the strain that we're seeing in the UK and in South Africa, it looks like, yeah, there'll be different strains circulating that have evaded uh, ways to get around social distancing or through masks or whatever. So we'll probably uh, be looking at yearly vaccinations, if not, you know, every two years or something like that. This is this is great to know. I'm glad we had you on because now I can go to the holidays and spread this information. Yeah. I'm really glad we got to talk to you. Yeah, thank you guys. Honestly, like a lot of um, a lot of scientists and clinicians right now just want to get this information to our people in particular, you know, of course, get it to the rest of the world. But my focus is our people just because as it is, there's so much against us, like access to healthcare, access to information, access to knowledge. So platforms like yours are just amazing. So thank you to you guys for bringing me on and um, helping get this information out. Thank you so much. This was so insightful. And to your point, I think it's so important like I get into heated debates with friends because I'm not an anti-vaxxer but I'm definitely like I definitely lean more in terms of like thinking about things from a holistic perspective more preventative than like just actionary but when it comes to something like a pandemic it's very challenging to have you know preventative care for a virus that we've never seen like no amounts of elderberry can can do that I, I don't imagine yeah but um I have a lot of conversations, particularly with people who are not black and who, you know, one of my friends was a chemistry major and another friend was a neuroscience major. So I'm like, you guys have a very different perspective around this. And you have to like, it's a very privileged perspective to be able to understand fully how the human body works and how viruses work and how this stuff impacts us. So I think it's important that everyone's just 
firstly informed and like just knows like the basis and then we can go on to have you know everything is politically charged everything has a social impact everything has a cultural impact so I'm glad we kind of were able to talk about all the ways that those intertwine it's not black and white it's not no it's not and that was really beautifully said said that um you know, a lot of everything that you just said was really nicely said, but the main thing to remember as well in terms of preventative measures, I 100% endorse people, you know, believing and living in that, you know, especially our community, we need to be eating better, we need to be looking after our bodies, we need to be exercising, not to say that this will prevent you from getting this coronavirus, because it's a novel virus. But in general, the reason why um, we're dying at a higher rate is because of a lot of underlying issues. So my thing is going forward, I don't want us to be in that category where we have more diabetes and more cardiovascular and more financial issues. And we need to address these things 100% going forward. People who promote healthier lifestyles, healthier eating, please do it. We need more of it 100% so that we're not disadvantaged like this. Um, so yeah, holistic measures and preventive. My mom is big on that stuff. My mom is like turmeric and everything, you know, and I believe in it. There's actually a lot of studies that show turmeric is really good anti-inflammatory. We need to be incorporating into our diet. Um, but yeah, not to say that it can, it can protect you from a novel genius virus that whose sole purpose is to hijack your cells through receptors that you express to, to live. So it's not for this argument, in, but in general, what I think, I hope going forward, the black community kind of like, and there's a lot of doctors who are trying to address all these health disparities too. Like, why is it more black people don't have access to healthcare? Why is it we don't trust doctors? Why is it there aren't more of us who are in these privileged positions, reading and educating and getting PhDs? Like, hopefully this pandemic will address all of that. systems earlier and I think that is one that has come to light a lot um during this this pandemic like the the issue of universal health care the access to healthy foods in communities that are food deserts and so often are black and brown yeah and America is a really special case for that too like I it really broke my heart moving here and seeing all of this and you know I don't know if you guys have seen on Clubhouse recently, all the um, ADOS uh, American. I was literally going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I I I endorse it. I think you know I'm a black immigrant. I came here. I realized that I came into a position that not many black Americans have access to because I had access to um, free education in the UK. You know, like we didn't have to pay. So. I'm definitely very wary anytime there's, you know, a position that I know could could go to a black American. Don't even, you know, I, I'm black, of course, I've been disadvantaged. I had to leave my home country of Sudan. I had to, due to colonialism, to, due to white supremacy, I had to move to the UK where I had my own set of problems. But this is America. This is the land where descendants of slaves had to like break out of projects uh, break out the hood, break out of police brutality, break out, honestly, the media, the media coverage just the last year alone. I was like, I've only been here three years. I'm like, I can't imagine a lifetime of this kind of like seeing police brutality on TV. And so America's tough, man. Honestly, the struggle here for black people has just been 
and anything, any the black diaspora as a whole, we need to support what black Americans are arguing and fighting for because it's not, we've each had our own independent struggles and at no point should we be dismissing African American, uh, African immigrant struggle. We shouldn't be dismissing uh, American uh, descendants of slave struggles. They're all struggles. We need to support each other to get the kind of um, compensation that we need. What do you guys think about yeah. I was literally like about to mention Eidos because, you know, Shade mentioned uh, how it's um, how some people have more information. And I think that is a big piece. But besides the information, like I have the information now, but I'm not necessarily I'm not totally sold on the vaccine yet, even though I have the information now, simply because we know that our government or this country has had things and they've used things against us, specifically Black people in this country. So I think a piece of what I've heard on Clubhouse from, you know, the ADOS cousins um, is that a piece of reparations would be like public acknowledgement of all the things that this country has done. I feel like if this country admits like, yeah, we experimented on you, we did all this crazy stuff, even though we had the information, we knew the science, we still did it anyways. I think that would be a bigger piece to to, to gain that trust from the black community in this country. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you. And that's why every time I'm on these platforms talking about it, I'm like, I recognize my own privilege too. Like I do, I see where my certain advantages came to me that a black American here wouldn't have received. You know, the UK was no easy. And that's why I say everyone has their own struggles, but I recognize the African-American struggle and I recognize the lack of trust and why it's there. And I recognize that I will not fully comprehend it because it wasn't my ancestors who were tested on. It wasn't. But the other thing to bear in mind is Black Americans winning this battle is going to have a trickle down effect to the rest of us all over the world. Because like I said, America's land of the free. So they're like the world stage because this is where humans get to come and be humans with no restrictions. And part of that meant a subset of us were enslaved. So those that were enslaved winning that battle, you're gonna liberate black people all over the world. So it'll work out in my benefit, in my cousin's benefit, in uh, you know black people in Europe, black people in Africa, seeing Americans rise means, black Americans rise means the, a whole lot to black people all over the world. Your struggles mean a whole lot to black people all, all over the world. So when you know the George Floyd protests happened, you saw the whole world rise to black people in London, black people in Germany, because you guys don't realize how much you mean to black people everywhere. So we, I personally, I support my black brothers and sisters, no matter where they are. And from being here in the US and experiencing it, experiencing it, I'm just like, yeah, I can't imagine a lifetime of this. What can I do to help? Like, what can I do to, I, I'm an ally. We need to be allies too, even though we're black, we're allies. Oh, so Agreed. beautifully it's, and perfectly it's too much. It's too much, Anne. It's too much bloody white supremacy. But the other thing that seeing it in Clubhouse, which really breaks my heart, the divide and conquer mentality. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're going to have, we, we have to do have a, a whole, whole episode. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have a Clubhouse episode, an Eidos episode. About that, because it's a, 
there's a there's a, a lot of levels to this, but I think that the best part of this was having a black woman doctor to like break this all down. I was like, yeah. this is my dream. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. Have you on. Yeah. And just the work you're doing and the studies you're doing and the information you're providing. We're gonna have all your information um in the show notes because I want to say girl, but I feel like I got to be like, doc, the, <laughs> the, the highlights that you have put together. Thank you guys. I don't know how long that has taken you to do, but you have like put out so much information out there and just shared so, so much on top you're of welcome. your day job. So really you're appreciate welcome, all the work you're doing. People. And I just want to say to any black scientist or black clinician who does have some power or privilege, use that to uplift our people use that to make sure there's more of us getting to PhD level, MD level, lawyer level, whatever it is, whatever change you can implement, wherever you are, do it because we're tired of this. We're tired of being at the bottom of the chain and seeing our own people even, you know, at some more struggles. So yeah, we're done with this. We're done with all of it. This is our superpower. When was it yesterday or today that we got? Yesterday. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Well, thank you again. We had Dr. Osman in the building. Thank you. you. What would you do? So ladies, now that we have talked to the doc, I do not have a formal, what would you do this week? Um, Did not see any in the email or in the DMs. So please, as always, reach out to us at Black Girls Texting on Instagram or hello at blackgirlstexting.com with your concerns. But with that being said, my what would you do is after we've had that talk, how are you guys feeling about the vaccine? Do you think you would get it? Are you feeling less apprehensive on a scale of one to 10? One being hell fucking no and 10 being like shoot me up where where do you lie not shoot me up I think I'm at a six I mean I just feel like I've learned a lot more about how it works and I feel that put a lot of my um apprehensions at ease and granted we did speak to one person who knows a lot about what's going on, but I, I really appreciated how the doctor acknowledged the apprehensions, acknowledged the history, um, but also kind of just like reassured us that in this instance, there's nothing malicious happening, um, but I still need to see how things play out. Like it just came out, you know? Yeah, I think I'm around five, six as well, Glenn. I was at a good. zero. Yeah, I was going to say that's good. I think that's really good. Um, yeah, I think I'm leaning more to an eight, nine. Um, not solely from this conversation. Like literally I read about coronavirus every single day from like the minute I wake up for about an hour and a half to like before I go to bed. <laughs> so I read tons of articles. I read all about like the the different um, reactions people have had. I've been reading, just understanding more about the science behind it so that it has definitely been putting me more at ease. Um, and are you saying you would get the vaccine? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. More like an eight, nine. I'm shocked. I'm shocked. Like first round. Well, the thing is the, we probably will not even get this vaccine until like 
if you want to speak in financial quarters, like Q3 of 2021. So we're looking at like maybe July or August, even if there is enough, because again, the US like fucking Trump didn't get enough, at least of the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna just came around. Um, so that's quite some time. And from understanding like the time frame in which you would start to see any impacts, the studies that they're going to be able to do, the 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 just the amount of people that they're vaccinating prior to us, like 20 million people in the healthcare system. I think by then we would have a pretty good understanding of what's going to happen. Um, and I would do that for the sole fact that it just allows me to be a member of society that is contributing to herd immunity um, and allows me to get the fuck out of my house because I'm tired of this. Like I'm absolutely tired of it. Um, I definitely do want to get a better perspective. Um, And we talked a bit about this offline and how like pregnancy impacts, like is, can it impact your baby? I'm probably not getting pregnant next year, but like, that's the one thing that I'm like, a little weary of like I wouldn't want something to impact my reproductive system um but besides that I don't have too much apprehension wow because we're gonna need people to take it sis so <laughs> that is amazing Chelsea you're hilarious why that's what she said we need people to take it about we 70 people like shut <laughs> so we need people like Shade and all your roommates that I'm con- I'm thinking they'll probably take it too. Yeah, so they will. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I get you on the like for this for the greater good. Like mm-hmm. folks go out there and get that. Yeah. And I mean, maybe. Yes, for the greater good. But it's to. like I'm like 40 percent greater good, 60 percent. Like I can like at least live my life. She wants to go outside. Yeah. Like I can go because <laughs> I'm fine. <laughs> That's true. And when you're out, you're protecting others too. She's right. Yeah, That's my 40%. Right. <laughs> my 60 is I can get the fuck out and I can go live my life. And at least I know I'm not getting it. I'm not giving it to nobody else. So that's where we're at. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's going to be a while. And people are still dying like crazy. So we just have to kind of get this thing under control. Yes. Yeah. I'm really like, what are these next few months gonna look like? Or the months up until the vaccine becomes widely available? Like we're about to be back in our houses again, having another dreary ass winter where I was depressed, like, like I was in March and ordering mad bottles on Drizzly. Like, it's <laughs> happening again. Again. Yeah, uh, it's going to be a while. It's going to be a while. But there is some ray of, what's the term I'm looking for? Ray of light? Light at the end of the tunnel. Ooh, there we go. Had to really pull that one out. So, yeah, we'll see. I'm excited. I'm very impressed. Science is exciting. Yeah, science is fire. Also, the human body is so amazing. Like, what? 
what but also like freaky <laughs> so wild all the messages being sent but also yeah it's it's so powerful right because i was also as as the doctor speaking thinking about the ways our bodies can protect us but then also our bodies can attack us i don't know um it's wild i know it makes you realize that like you're a human but you're really just like another thing like a plant or a pig god's creature right no control <laughs> okay god's creature yes that makes it sound much nicer but yeah we gotta uh probably do better as humans in the way we are ruining the planet because if not we'll probably have like a quadrillion more of these viruses so but you know. don't have to be extreme love that the doctor confirmed that <laughs> yes yes i love my oxtail no 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 oh no, no no i'm not that talking about way. that i'm not talking about also, oh my God, before we sign off, I have to send you guys this link if I can find it. There's literally this company in Singapore that made chicken and it's not like beyond meat. It, it's literally like they were able to like make chicken in a lab. No, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> I would definitely try it. Like you have to nope. read the article. It was very interesting. And they think that this is going to be like-, like that type of shit gives you cancer. No, because it's <laughs> not like- Essentially, it's just like creating the chicken, right? I don't know how to fucking explain. I'm not a scientist. No, I see. Like, so the, it's not being like article. made and kept in these like nasty places. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's they like think a clean it's, chicken. It's not making the live chicken. It's just making the chicken like as you see it in the grocery store. Like making the protein. Yeah. Which like, I don't know how they do this. So it's then science. do you take a 3D printer and make a <laughs> meat no no oh my god because i've seen people doing that or was i watching something i will put i I will put the the thing in the show notes because i believe it was in in singapore um this is what science will do you know right and they think that science does too much like doing the most (laughs) well but here's the thing like if you are able to have something like this then you don't have to like do so much deforestation to create farms and you don't have to like pack in like millions of animals into these like enclosed spaces for us to have like fucking chicken nuggets at chick-fil-a like they can be produced in that's this not way. real chicken anyway hey chick-fil-a it's definitely Chick-fil-A more real is chicken real than chicken. mcdonald's no you're right you're right uh let me not slander these people but no nah, i mean it's a good point like we literally as i mentioned earlier i forgot the show that i was watching what was i watching was it this movie homeland or something not homeland home going homecoming with um this tv show anyway i feel like they were making like meat using 3d printers and i was like yo we're on our way there <laughs> like maybe from, i don't know Okay, here we go. In some ways. The cultivated or no-kill meat contains all the protein and nutrients of real chicken without causing deforestation, food safety risks, or animal welfare. First, the company does a biopsy to extract a single chicken cell from a fresh piece of meat. After identifying the vitamins, minerals, and amino acids feeding the cell, the company manufactures high-quality meat in a bioreactor. This is not vegan. Like, this is meat. So people who don't eat meat, like, because they feel it's not as though for you. It's, it's, it's a chicken it's chicken unethical or like against the environment could eat this but if you don't eat meat because like you literally don't want to like consume meat like this is not for you this is not fake meat this is still it's real meat right so but i feel like people that don't eat real meat is because like 
of the animals, but they're not hurting the animal, right? They just hurt maybe exactly. one chicken. Exactly. Right. And like, sure, they may have to hurt like a thousand chickens to produce like a million things of meat, but it's Worth not the sacrifice. Right. Right. So check out the article. I just sent it to you guys. I will post it in the show notes. And I don't know. I think this is, could potentially be the future. So I don't know how we got there. Alternatively, you can eat bugs. What? Yeah, I mean. <laughs> no, there's like, it's somewhere in um Europe. I want to like, I feel like a Scandinavian country where they're um, producing almost like Beyond Meat burgers, but it's like made out of bugs. Yeah. I'll try to find that. I mean, that. folks eating bugs all over the world. A lot of protein. High source of protein, right? Yeah. Yo, didn't y'all eat bugs cool. in like Mexico? Eight bugs in Mexico, Asia, yeah. larva, all kinds of things. Like, I don't want to, you can't be like, oh, do you want chicken parm or like ant parmesan? Like, that's No, but it not... looks like the chicken. It's like they squish it all together and make it look like the chicken. But it's Girl, really that ants. sounds like it's like a, a black bean burger. Slash, like made that's, out of bird, that's probably bugs. like hella ants. Like, how do we do that? Yeah, but ants, like. You can make a lot of bugs. Like they have a lot of babies. Okay, this is true. It's not like chickens. It sounds mad crunchy. I don't know about it. I don't know. <laughs> um, welcome to the brains of the women of <laughs> I don't even know how we got to ant We're talking bean. about how science, <laughs> science is cool. Oh, correct, correct. Science is Black cool. girls love science. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Um, do you guys have any final words for the people? No. Shout out to all the black women doctors, though. That's Facts. it. Facts. Peace. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to Black Girls Texting. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you listen and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Oh, and don't forget to text every group chat you're in and tell them to check us out. Follow your girls at Black Girls Texting, and we'll see you next week. Bye.